Jeremiah, verse 4, from verse 11 to 18. At this time, at that time, this people and Jerusalem will be told. A scorching wind from the barren heights in the desert blows for, towards my people, but not to winnow and to cleanse. A wind too strong for that comes from me. Now I pronounce my judgments against them. Look, he advances like the clouds. His chariots come like a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us, we are ruined. O Jerusalem, wash the evil from your hearts and be saved. How long will you harbour wicked thoughts? A voice is announcing from Dan, proclaiming disaster from the hills of Ephraim. Tell this to the nations. Proclaim it to Jerusalem. A besieging army is coming from a distant land, raising a war cry against the cities of Judah. They surround her like men guarding a field because she has rebelled against me, declares the Lord. Your own conduct and actions have brought this upon you. This is your punishment. How bitter it is. How it pierces to the heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rebecca. Turn on your TV at the moment and you'll hear the stories of how unprecedented bushfires are raging throughout New South Wales and Queensland. They're causing massive devastation, destruction to to properties, to livestock, and even the loss of lives. Actually, if you were in some areas close to us, look out the window and you don't need to turn on the TV to know that danger is imminent. Our prayers go out to those affected, both residents who have lost everything and the firefighters who are risking much to protect them. Over the airwaves, you hear local politicians saying, Listen to the advice of those who come knocking on your door when it's time to leave. They're acting on what they know is a real and present danger and they only want to serve you and preserve your lives. Listen to the testimony of those who have been fighting the fires in their own backyards and some will say they received no warning and so they've had to face the dangers on their own and hope for the best. I want to say this morning that there's something worse than bushfire to come. I don't speak of these matters to trivialise them um, because this destruction for some is very real. But this season that we're facing at the moment is temporary. At the moment, these fires will take one house and leave another untouched. We know that eventually they will subside. But how much more? And with what greater urgency do we need to be considering our response to the prediction of an eternal consuming fire that brings an ultimate end? Jeremiah says to the people of Jerusalem and Judah in Jeremiah 4, verse 4, Change your hearts before the Lord, or my anger will burn like an unquenchable fire because of all your sins. If this sounds like it's going to be an uncomfortable message to hear, you're right. It's an uncomfortable message to preach. 
Jeremiah 4 speaks of the judgment that is coming from God that is more than a cleansing or a disciplining of his people. He's not this time going to slap them on the wrist and hope that they learn from their lessons. God is speaking of the total destruction of Jerusalem. We also read of the broken heart of the prophet who sees what is to come and cannot bear to give the message. Well, cannot bear it, the message that he has to give. Sadly, we also read that the people hearing it are going to pay no heed to it, but rather dress themselves up that they might look attractive to the nations that are coming to bring about their ruin. This is futile. Today, I want to consider these warnings alongside what we need to hear and heed in our own time. It should be our hearts that are breaking over the destruction that is to come, but our voices that are speaking to herald this real danger. Too much, I fear, the church is dressing itself up to look beautiful in the eyes of the world, but denying the word of truth. Let's hear from the Lord this morning. Father, as we open your word, may we not simply be disheartened and change the channel. Lord, may we not seek peace and, and refuse to listen to, to what is yet to come. Lord, may we see your heart, your heart for the nations, your heart to see people turn to you, your heart to preserve life and to demonstrate your love. Lord, we know that as we look to your word that we might see your heart, that you see our hearts. You know those things that are concealed. You know those things that, that we hold in, in our own behaviours and our, our own opinions, Lord, that, that will change the way we, we think and, and change what we say about your word and your truth. So change our hearts, Lord, so that we do not change the truth. Speak to us that we might speak on your behalf. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah is knocking on the door. He says... Now, God says to him in verse 5, Declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, Blow the trumpet through the land. Cry aloud and say, Assemble and let us go into the fortified cities. Raise a standard towards Zion. Flee for safety. Stay not, for I bring disaster from the north and great destruction. A lion has gone up from its thicket. A destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be in ruins without inhabitant. For this put on sackcloth, lament and wail. For the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. He's dressed in his fire gear. He knows what's down the street. He comes knocking on the doors of the houses in Judah and he says that there is destruction that is to come. Prepare to flee. The Lord is not going to relent. The Lord is angry with you. Some might read this and say, well, there you go. I always knew God to be a God of anger. People don't speak about it so much from the Bible, but there it is. He's an angry God and he's bringing judgment. And he is both angry and bringing judgment. After hundreds of years of pleading with his people, disciplining them that they might turn back to him, 
watching them fall again into idol worship, sexual immorality, even the murder of their own children. He has a right to be angry. Really, in a way, he's responding to those who would have been praying in that day, saying, if God is so good and powerful, why doesn't he do something about all the suffering in the world? Now he comes to do it. But mercifully, before the judgment comes, he sends forth his prophet. There are other prophets in that day declaring other messages. Jeremiah says in verse 9, In that day declares the Lord, courage shall fail both king and officials. The priests shall be appalled and the prophets astounded. Why will they be astounded? Because they're not predicting this. They're not preaching that. Then I said, Our Lord God, surely you have utterly deceived this people and Jerusalem, saying it shall be well with you. Whereas the sword has reached their very life. It's hard to know exactly what Jeremiah is declaring at this point. Either he's declaring that God has declared peace over his people and now judgment is coming. Or he's pointing to those prophets and priests that are dismayed and, and confused that now judgment is coming when they're declaring peace. Let's address both of those questions. God says in Deuteronomy 7, as he's bringing the people out of Egypt and bringing them into the land of promise, know therefore that it is the, Lord, the Lord is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him, who keep his commandments to, uh, to, sorry, those who keep his commandments to thousands of generations. Later he says, because you listen to these rules and keep them, the Lord your God will keep you in the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to his fathers. He will love you, bless you, multiply you. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the fruit of the ground, your grain, your wine, your oil, the increase of your herds and your young flocks in the lands that I swore your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all the peoples. That's the promise of God and that promise is true. If the people were to go into the land and uphold him as their God, they would receive blessing upon blessing upon blessing. God did proclaim peace to his people. But even at that time, just in the next chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 8, he gave these warnings. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his statutes and his rules. Lest when you have eaten and are full, and have built your houses and live in them, when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. If you forget the Lord, it goes on to say, and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes perish before you, so you shall perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Yes, God spoke peace and blessing to his people. But even before they stepped foot in the land, he gave them this warning. Follow me and you will receive blessing. Turn from me and I will regard you as the nations that I'm just about to push out of that land. For they are doing detestable things. They are bowing down to idols. They are committing sexual immorality. They are sacrificing their children to the gods of fertility and harvest, thinking that in that they will receive a blessing. That's why I'm sending them out of the land and bringing you in. I want the land to have rest from this stuff. If you go in and do the same thing, you will be treated just as they are. 
The prophets in Jeremiah's day weren't saying, Obey the Lord and he will bless you. Turn from the Lord and these curses will come on you. They were saying things like this, Jeremiah 6.13. From the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From the prophet to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wounds of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. And later, chapter 14, verse 13. Ah, Lord God, Jeremiah says, The prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I give you assured peace in this place. The Lord said to me, These prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor do I command them to speak. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination and deceit in their own words. There is great danger in a message of peace when it comes at a time of danger. If that man geared up in all of his firefighting gear knocks on your door and you see the flames and the smoke behind him and he says, don't worry, it's going the other way. When you can see the wind blowing in your face, should you hear that message of peace? Or should you know that this person has their own agenda? That's what's happening in Jeremiah's days. The priests and the prophets are saying, Peace, peace, God's going to look after us. Continue as you will. Partly because they were continuing as they wanted to as well. They themselves were committing terrible sins in their own hearts. And so spoke of a God who doesn't judge. It was convenient for them. Jeremiah, however, has that unsettling message to preach. The truth that says God cannot continue to turn away from your sin forever. In fact, judgment is on the horizon. Verse 11, At that time it will be said to his people and to Jerusalem, A hot wind from the bare heights in the desert toward the daughter of my people, not to winnow or cleanse, a wind too full for this comes from me. Now it is I who speak judgment upon them. It's not simple discipline this time. This is the judgment. There have been many words spoken designed to change their hearts. Many prophets sent to bring them back to God. Now Jeremiah's task is to proclaim the end. And there is another end to come. Revelation 20.15 says... Anyone's, if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. If I were to ask you what the teachings of Jesus were focused on, many might say, well, he came to bless. Didn't he remember the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart. It was a message of encouragement to those who were struggling and you would be true and right. But in that same sermon, Jesus say, says these things, Matthew 5.22. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. 
If your right eye causes you to sin, verse 29, tear it out and throw it away, for it's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Did Jesus believe in hell? He certainly did. What did he want? To condemn people to hell? Certainly not. He wanted to save people from hell. They might have to do without things in their life. They might have to turn away from sin in some pretty radical ways, but in doing so, they would be turning from the fires of hell. Elsewhere, Jesus elaborates on what this place looks like. He says, I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He's speaking about you and me. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a description that doesn't sound good. In Matthew 25, in a parable, Jesus will divide the sheep from the goats. The sheep into everlasting life. The goats, he says, depart from me, you curse it, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. We know about hell precisely because of the teachings of Jesus. It's a place of fire. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place of punishment. Jeremiah, as he hears of this desert wind that's coming, this fire that will cleanse, says in verse 19, My anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain over the walls of my heart. My heart is beating wildly. I cannot keep silent, for I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Jeremiah is not delighting in the message that he has to give. Nor like Jonah has he turned his back and run so that he doesn't have to give it. He's speaking the message of the destruction to come to the people of Judah and it's breaking his heart. Let me ask you, whose heart, uh, sorry, for whom does your heart break? Who is it that you know you have a message to speak to? And it's going to be a hard message. But you just can't turn away. Because you know the truth of it. Turn with me to Luke chapter 16. This again is a parable, but so instructive to us. There was a rich man, Jesus says, verse 19, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and feasted sumptuously every day. Ah, the good life. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. 
And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. Hear that place and its description. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may be able to cross there to us. Is there a second chance after death? No, a great chasm. And he said, this is the rich man, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. What's the first thing people should hear? Moses and the prophets. What are we not reading very much these days? Moses and the prophets. Because we open books like Jeremiah and we go, gee, that's a bit heavy. Gee, he's talking about a God of judgment, a God of anger, a God who's bringing war on his people. I don't think I like that message as a morning devotion very much. What do I do with that? I say read it and listen to it. Because there is a judgment worse than the judgment that Jeremiah has to proclaim yet to come. It's a judgment that faces all people and will separate one from another for eternity. And hear the cry of that rich man. If there's no relief for me, at least preach to my brothers. At least warn them of what is to come. Though you can't cool my tongue, at least there would be some comfort for me in knowing that my family might be saved from what it is that I have to suffer. Let them hear from Moses and the prophets. Let them believe. Let them hear from you and me. For we have a message to give. Sure, even if one should rise from the dead, they will not believe. We see that, don't we? But does that stop us? No, that is our message. Not just that God has has sought to, to bring salvation to the nations through his people and promised to them that one day there will be a remnant that may come, that one day there might be a Messiah that come that would bring about this, this salvation and the return of his people. We have that message to preach. Jeremiah begins, uh, sorry, the, the chapter begins, Return, O Israel, declares the Lord. Remember from last week, um, we heard Jeremiah speak to Israel in the hearing of Judah. 
To me you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, in righteousness, then nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him they shall glory. Two parts to that message. One, in the name of the Lord who lives. When Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and began to preach to the the people from the nations gathered around, what was his message? Jesus Christ, whom you have crucified, God has raised to life again. And their hearts broke within them. They said, so what should we do? And he said, repent and be saved. This is a message of life that we give. It's a message that contains death. Jesus died on the cross. But it's a message of life. He has been raised to life again. And so we speak of the judgment of death and hell. But we speak of it in the name of Christ. Who has given us a way out. If we do what? If we we remove detestable things from our lives. If in truth and justice and in righteousness we declare the Lord who lives. For of all of those verses that I've just given you of Jesus speaking of the judgment to come, it comes to those who have not heard of Jesus. It comes to those Pharisees who know the truth but deny it by their actions. It comes to those who refuse to look away from detestable things, who refuse to to stop doing detestable things. It's people... Like you and me that Jesus is saying, I want you to fear the judgment that is to come. And for fear of that, reform your life. It's not that salvation comes to you through your own good works. It's only through me and my work in you. But if you turn from me, if you refuse my spirit, if you say while you're in the temple, oh, the Lord lives, peace upon Jerusalem, Translate that into, if you come to church and say, oh yes, I'm a good Christian, my hope is in God. But through the week you bow down to all the other idols under every other tree and and declare the mother of heaven as the one who gives good things to my life. Or if you spend your week stockpiling your own comfort and security and, and enjoying your own pleasures, don't think that you are saved Repent in your own hearts. Know that the Lord has died for you and he lives in order that you might live in truth and justice and righteousness. That is his blessing that comes firstly to you. And then in truth, you can speak this message to others. Let the house of Israel therefore know for certain, Peter says, God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. We are living in days where many are speaking peace, prosperity, security, the blessings of God. And we do live in this age where God has brought about his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. It's a wonderful blessing and it's a, it's a wonderful life to be in. That even now we can know the abundance of life that God has promised to us. But let us not become so secure with our silver and our gold and our flocks and our herds. 
that we would forget that salvation comes from the Lord. Let us worship him with true hearts and let us bear the burden of Jeremiah that this message of the destruction to come is ours to bring. Thank the Lord that we have the message of hope that we take with it. Jesus Christ died for you and for me. For God so loved the world that he didn't want anyone to perish but that all would receive eternal life. I asked my kids in scripture classes this week, what does that word whosoever mean? Whosoever believe in him, anybody, anywhere. Actually, one of my year three students said it to me best. Those who believe. Let us believe on the Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to speak truth. Lord, we thank you that you came to save us from the devastation that is to come. You came to build a bridge to, to, that we, we might cross that, that division between us and God, that we might be safe on heaven's side. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the way that you showed us this message through caring for the poor, through giving your life, through speaking truth, even though it raised up enemies against you, for demonstrating your love in dying for us. Lord, may we be such people, aware of what is to come, with hearts broken for those that you love, declaring the truth of your word. We pray this in your name. Amen.